Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brandon. I'm here with Devin Dash. Hello, everyone. And so we're going to be talking about sales management today. We have a special guest. Sean Milliken is joining us. And Sean has uh, just this incredibly varied background where he has run companies. He's been involved in every aspect of operations of a company. And we've gotten to know Sean and our work with one of our clients over the last year or so. Um, a lot better. I've known him for a long time, uh, but it's been a lot of fun to watch him excel in this role of sales management and bring his expertise to the field of sales, but not just sales, actually managing salespeople. So welcome, Sean. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So tell us a little bit about uh, like your, your career path and getting to this point where now you're tasked with making a bunch of salespeople successful. And it's a role that you've had in the past. We've gotten to see it up mm-hmm. close here in the last year or so. But just talk about how you got to this point. Well, I was involved in a family-owned and operated business for 30-plus years. I uh, started at the very bottom, worked my way up uh, through all facets, like you talked about, operations, sales. I ran the sales department. I was in sales. Um, so, And then eventually I had the privilege of, of running the entire company uh, that my father started. Uh, the sales aspect of it, um, managing that, Managing a staff there was interesting, and I've taken what I learned there and I've applied it to my current position, and then some. Yeah. So one of the things that you said in a meeting we had months ago, mm-hmm. and, and you uh, you you use this phrase of salespeople are their hunters or their trappers, and that immediately got my attention. And we had a little bit of a conversation back then. But what do you mean by salespeople are hunters or their trappers? Well, I think there's two types of salespeople, and those are you. You just defined that. I think the hunters are, you know, always looking for the next opportunity. They're uh, they're looking for new prospects. They're tracking down leads to the logical end. They're door knockers. They're cold callers. They're self starter. They're self motivated. Those uh, those hunter type salespeople don't need a lot of uh, motivation. They've got it in their gut already. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they're, and primarily they're, they're basically unafraid of a straight commission situation, and, and actually they prefer to, to be on that right out of the gate. So you can really tell a hunter right away. Um, as far as the second one, I would say, is trappers. You know, they're, they're creative people that like to find solutions for others uh, in whatever they're selling, the products or the services that they offer. Um, they're trying to find the best fit for the customer and then uh, taking that approach with them and communicating that value to them and uh, following through with giving them the best product to, to meet the customer's demand. So the, it sounds like the, the hunters are the ones who are, um, you, you said they're actively out there prospecting for deals. They're finding the next where the next sale is going to come from. And it, it almost sounds like the trappers are more about the process. Is that is that uh, fair or is it not, a, not about process so much? No, I'd say it's about process. Some of them actually fall into uh, uh, order takers at order takers at, at some point. Um, and with the hunters, I think they're more uh, geared towards looking for that large deal, looking for that I next gotcha. deal, that next whale of a deal, but knowing that they have to keep all the other smaller orders or smaller jobs in front of them to, you know, to fill the pipeline up. Gotcha. And the, and the trappers are more like we're singles and doubles you know, yes. every single day. And yeah. And maybe the occasional home run, but the the trappers are like I'm swinging for the fences, but I'll take a walk every now and then if I'm not if I'm had a bad day, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the trappers needed a lot more mentoring, a really, lot, a lot more monitoring, a lot more guidance. Uh, you know, they they need that daily interaction with with others and other peer group where the hunters are more, uh, you know, just solo type people. Yeah, is there a um, is there kind of a rule of thumb where it's like it's half and half, or is it like? Uh, I'd say it's the eighty twenty rule for really? sure. So 20. or maybe even ninety ten. Uh, so which one is the ninety? and Which one is the ten? The ten would be the hunters. The hunters. So yeah. the so are those the ones that they're kind of like the superstars in an, a sales organization? Yes. Okay. Typically they are. Okay. They bring they bring a lot to the table. Interesting. And have you seen somebody move from one to the other, or is it just kind of like that you are what you are and it's just kind of well-defined? I think it's more 
who you are, okay. and it's inherent in them from the very get-go. Interesting. That's my take. Now, others may have other perceptions well, on you're that. You're the expert today, so <laughs> whatever you decide is what we're going to go with. Yeah. Um, you said something earlier, too, where you were, you've done sales and you've mm-hmm. managed salespeople. What's the difference between the two? Oh, there's a large difference. Uh, it, selling is more of an independent role uh, where you're out there selling to your customers and you're one-on-one, you're face-to-face, and you're, you're just going through that daily grind. Whereas managing uh, a sales force is a totally different skill set, totally different mindset. Uh, you know, you could take a top performer and try and make them your manager, but are they going to really have the skills necessary in order to execute that position? Most of the time, that's a no. Uh, I've found they're better off leaving your top performers where they're most comfortable and they're bringing the most amount of money. I think from what I've seen, when they do get put into a management role, they're not as happy as when they were in the selling role. Interesting. So we we run into situations occasionally where um, the CEO, or not not necessarily CEO, I think the CEOs kind of get it, but we run into situations where other people find out like what the salesperson's making, because it tends to be one of the more publicized like compensation numbers in a company because they're straight commission, and at a minimum people can like do the math, you know, mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a board somewhere that says you know. John closed, you know, five million dollars in sales this year, and somebody goes, "Holy cow! John gets paid five percent of sales. He's making a quarter of a million dollars." And and so some people it rubs people the wrong way, right? And they're like, hmm. "You know what? He's making more than the CEO. He's making more than..." And in some cases, potentially making more than the sales manager, right? So what Correct. you just said is is like you you could have a situation where your high flyer moves into the office and now becomes the sales manager, and he earns less. And learns less, <laughs> and it um, may not be as happy doing it, you know. So true. Yeah. But uh, along the lines of them making lots of money, nothing happens till something's sold. Right. And, exactly. And I think CEOs recognize that. They know that the, their top performers might be earning a lot of money, but if they're earning a lot of money, so are they. Yeah. So, and I think I think you're right. I think the CEOs get that. Um, help us. So we're going to ask you for some advice. Help us uh, understand how can we educate everybody else on the leadership team about that? Because that's where, because the CEO seems to get it, right? Mm -hmm. And the CEO also, like the CEO is bringing down a salary, but Mm -hmm. hopefully if the business is profitable, the CEO is also taking dividends out of the business, right? And, Mm -hmm. And we like to see businesses get to the point where the dividends far exceed the salary. I mean, that's kind of the, Mm -hmm. the, the idea of business ownership is you own an asset that's producing returns for you. Um, so the CEO kind of gets it. And mm-hmm. a lot of the people who work in the organization are like, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's always, you always hear things like, well, if we weren't there, they wouldn't be able to sell the job or, you know, they sell the job, but we're the ones who have to do it. And, you know, we can say time out, like until they sell the job, nobody has a payroll dollar coming in. That's one way to make, but is, are there other ways that you found th- that to help people get over that hump of, hey, our salespeople, they're just going to make a lot of money, and that's actually good for everybody? Well, I think it is good for everybody, but I think educating them does help. Uh, you know, they have a certain skill set, and not everybody has that skill set, and not everybody can be a salesperson and be an effective one. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said about that because. Uh, you know, salespeople for the most part are, are not real organized. Uh, you know, it's probably the 80 20 rule again. <laughs> uh, you know, 80% are not organized, 20% are. And I understand, you know, people that are they're after the fact and taking care of the orders are probably picking up some crumbs and things that right. didn't happen. And that, that gets under their skin knowing that, uh, you know, he's earning or she's earning a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, and they're not, but they don't possess the same skill set that that salesperson has, and nor do they want to possess that or have the willingness to go out or the drive or the motivation to become a salesperson. If they did, they'd already be there. Yeah. So I think recognizing that and trying educating them to the fact that there are different levels of performers within a company, no matter if it's in operations or sales or you know, into production or the CEO... There's different pay levels for different performing 
tasks. Yeah. Yeah. And sales in a lot of organizations, it's one of those jobs that, um, you know, like in the in the work that you do. So we'll just, full disclosure, you are the sales manager for Roofing by Curry. Mm-hmm. And so your sales guys are out, they're not in the office. If they're in the office, they're not making money, right? They're not, That's right. So a lot of times people will see those guys maybe in the office for a little while and then right back out again. But for the large part of the day, they're just out there and they're doing what they do, right? Mm-hmm. And so people don't have an understanding of what they do. The same way people have an, they people can visit a job site and see guys on a roof in August when it's 110 degrees and go, man, that's a really tough job. Right. Uh, and I don't know how to do that. Right, but somebody they see a sales guy get in a car and leave the office to go to a sales appointment, and they're like, "Why is that guy making so much money? Like, how hard is that?" Right? And there's like, <laughs> like but what you said is there's a, a whole skill set that those salespeople have that other people don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it could be the case that, and, and then the other thing I would say is that a lot of the good, really good salespeople make it look easy. You know, like it's let's say that the the salespeople are there. Let's say they're on a showroom floor. Right, and their job is to, you know, see the customers come in and interact with them and chat them up and learn about what their their needs are, what their project is. I'm thinking of a friend of mine that has a flooring business, right? And so the sales guys are on the on the showroom floor and they're mm-hmm. showing tile samples or laminate flooring samples or hardwood samples and they're talking about their house and what they want and showing pictures on their phone. And people are like, that guy gets paid an enormous amount of money just to sit around and talk to people all day, right? <laughs> and so they can, they're on their own, they're, they are their own worst enemy in some respects because they make the job look easy. And in other cases, they're just not around to see it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one aspect of this skill set that I think is totally underappreciated by most people who've never lived it, which is the safety net. So when you go to work, mm. as long as you do your 40 hours, you know, and you, and you, you do the other things that are in your job description, mm-hmm. you know that on Friday afternoon somebody's going to put a paycheck on your desk or there's going to be a direct deposit in your account. <laughs> but if you're a sales guy, that's not necessarily the case. No. Right? There's no safety net. It's right. kind of up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how many of us could perform well if there was no safety net? Just given that general base level of anxiety that would be there in the background while you're trying to do your job, knowing that I may not get paid this week. Uh, not too many. No. I think uh, there are, they're a select group, a very select group that can handle that pressure yeah. of uh, maybe knowing or not knowing what they're going to earn that particular week. Right. And uh, that is a motivating factor for them. Yeah. That's why they do what they do. Well, it's doubly so, too, because if I'm, let's say that I, uh, I struggle with the anxiety, but my job is putting numbers into a spreadsheet, right? And mm-hmm. it's like the spreadsheet doesn't care. The spreadsheet right. doesn't know that I'm anxious. Right. <laughs> but right. if I'm sitting across from a customer, right. the customer can smell that anxiety and that desperation. In and a it, minute. And if you, if you don't have that skill set as a salesperson, you become even less effective. So maybe right. you're okay taking the risk, but if you can't function in that mm-hmm. interpersonal respect under the risk, you're never going to make it as a salesperson. I think the salespeople have an inherent ability to set that aside. They take their interpersonal skills, put them to use in front of the customer, and with their knowledge base of the products, they're able to convey a message that makes the customer feel comfortable. This is in an ideal situation. And they're able to... Uh, close sales because of that, because they are comfortable, because they are giving them solutions, and they and they know the products very well, and that customer perceives that, mm-hmm. and they buy based on that salesperson's uh, interpersonal skills or their temperament. So we could talk a lot about uh, the sales or, or the skills of a salesperson. What I'm really interested in, though, are the skills of a sales manager. Mm-hmm. Because most of our our clients, um, they are getting to a point, or they're trying to get past a point where the business owner. I guess the usual iteration is the business owner is doing a lot of the selling, and eventually the business owner uh, hires another person to help with some of the selling. The business owner keeps doing some of the selling, mm-hmm. and then hires a second person. And the business owner gives up even more of the selling because now two people can kind of cover what he was or she was doing themselves. And maybe then there's a third person because we're growing. And now the business owner is the de facto like sales manager. Mm-hmm. And 
it doesn't work out very well. <laughs> so what are the skills necessary or, or what would you tell business owners that are trying to get over that hump and maybe they're having a hard time buying into the idea that I need a full-time sales manager? Well, being a previous business owner, I know there's a lot of pressures from a lot of different angles. So if they're feeling in their gut that they need someone to help manage, they're probably right. Uh, <laughs> so they, they need to take action. They need to not procrastinate. Because if the, if the salespeople are not being fed and they're not being uh, monitored and being held accountable for their actions or lack thereof, then they're, they're not reaping the best rewards that they could get from, from those particular salespeople. Um, so I would say follow your gut. If you feel like it's time to, to, uh, to make that move, then you should start exploring that. And how, how many salespeople do you need before you, you have a sales manager? Well, I don't know if it's a number. I don't know if it's really related to a number or if it's related to the amount of volume that's going through okay. your business. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I would say five to six plus. So you're going to help, you know, you're going to need full some additional full help. person. Yeah, I think once you get to a eight to $10 million range where things are really cranking, mm -hmm. you're going to need some help. Okay. What what are some of the characteristics that this, like, you know, let's say you're at a business and you have five or six salespeople and you're the business owner and you're starting to feel like you, have, you need a sales manager. Are all sales managers created equal? I mean, we ha we've already kind of had the discussion that not some sales personnel are trappers, some are hunters. Is there a similar, you know, hunter and trapper type mentality for managers or... Is there multiple different kind of management styles that make a make a great sales manager? Well, I'd say yes. There's many different management styles. Uh, it's just what fits their culture. You know that they have to decide. Uh, you know, does this person fit fit my needs? Does he fit in? Does he fit in with the right people? Uh, so if I got a hard charging business owner who's just the facts, just you know, get me across the finish line. Hard charging sales manager is probably going to resonate with that person. Yes, you, you have to you have to mitigate some of the the downsides to having two people who think exactly alike because mm -hmm. there may not be some pushback. But what I hear you saying is, um, you, you know, there's a there's a there's a management skill set, but there's a way you manage, which right. is kind of needs to be compatible with the culture. Yeah. Um, when you get when you're let's say you're under that, say you've got like two two salespeople, three salespeople, you're not quite doing that volume to justify a full-time additional person just to manage sales. What we see a lot is I'm going to make my best salesperson like the the manager. Okay. Right? Kind of, you know, so talk about that. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What, what are your thoughts? My thoughts on that is be very careful. Okay. Uh, because as we discussed earlier, you could take your highest performer, pull them into management, and he may not like that. He may not like the fact that it's nine to five every day. He loses flexibility in his schedule. He loses flexibility in what well, he can earn. Let's say I'm not going to pull him out of the field entirely. Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just going to tell him, hey, I'm I'm going to. You made one hundred fifty thousand dollars last year. I'm going to, and there was no base. Let's say just to make mm -hmm. the math easy, and I'm going to pay you fifty thousand dollars a year, and I want you to spend a quarter to a third of your time managing these other two guys and making them productive. I think that has some inherent problems, and I think one of them would be he's used to his peers within that sales group. So the other two guys are his peers. Now he is the boss of that particular department. Sometimes that makes it hard, depending on the person that's trying to manage it uh, effectively. I, I don't know that he could manage it effectively under that scenario. It makes it even doubly hard because now those guys have to answer to, to him. Right. And he has to hold them accountable and mentor them and monitor them and, you know, put all the necessary things into place in order to to uh, make sales continue to rise. So that's a that's a difficult that, that's a difficult one. You gotta be very careful in, in your choice there yeah. because it, it could actually end up coming back to biting you and you know, you may end up having to put him back into the sales department. And can you save face with 
you know, can he save face or she save face? And going back into the sales department, knowing that management was not yeah. for them. Yeah, every situation is different, so we kind of have to be careful about you know prescribing broad solutions here. But I, I think a couple of things that you said that, that I think could be potentially issues is like when I come out of the field and I start talking to you about your quotas, you know, there's a, there could be a sense where you're like, uh, well, it's easy for you to say you got all the good leads, Mr. Sales Manager, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or, or uh, you have a really good month as a sales manager right. slash salesperson. And I look at you and go, man, he's just taking money out of my pocket. Like he's supposed to be my manager. He's supposed to be looking out for me. Those are sales that if, you know, if I were the next on the rotation, I would have gotten that sale. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other one is if I'm a sales manager slash salesperson and let's say I have a couple of, you know, my sales personnel after a few months of me being the sales manager have become a little bit belligerent and they're not really interested in bringing me their hot leads or bringing me their prospects or bringing me the open proposals and telling me, this is where this lead is at because of everything you've mentioned. And now I'm having to spend more time managing them. And now I'm not hitting my quota. Yeah, there's, resent- there's a lot of resentment then to go around now. It's who like are you to manage street. me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're not hitting your quota. Yeah, yeah. It's, it just seems we've seen this so many times where uh, I'm going to take my best. And, and sometimes it may not even be the guy that's got the highest number. It's kind of the guy who's got his act together. Or the girl who's got her act together, mm-hmm. and the you know it's the person who turns in the paperwork the way we want it. It's the person who's very responsive to customers. It's the person that we never have any issues from in the office. Man, it would be great if we could just get everybody else to do it the way that she does it. So we're going to put her in charge. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, like sometimes she maybe she's a she's a trapper. And so she's, she's like, well, maybe I would enjoy that more because it's process and stuff. But the, sale, the, the business owner can't seem to make that leap to just say, just give up her sales. Like sprinkle that, hire somebody to backfill her position or, or just spread it around to everybody else. Split that territory up among the remaining salespeople and don't give the sales manager a quota. Because I just, I see that, that one, that's such a slippery slope because... If a portion of my paycheck is based on me being successful as a salesperson and a portion of my paycheck is based on helping you be successful as a salesperson, how do I prioritize those two things when I got a mortgage payment coming up in three weeks? <laughs> you'll definitely go toward, you'll gravitate towards, you know, getting the next biggest sale. Yeah. And uh, your, your motives won't be in the right place for ownership. Yeah, uh, you know, ownership's ex- expecting you to manage the situation and to grow sales and to monitor and hold people accountable. Right. Uh, you make a very valid point of backfilling or adding another individual as a third person and actually truly letting that person manage the whole entire department. Yeah. And, and you know, our argument would be: look, they should be able to pay for themselves. Like you bring in a sales manager in who's going to make everybody else more effective. That mm-hmm. person should pay for themselves. They should. You're going to have to probably wait a year, though, to see if they did. And it's kind of that leap of faith that a lot of business owners have a hard time. Like, come on, but they're paying for themselves now. Like, can't we just have our cake and eat it, too? <laughs> and they're like, well, it's, this could be tough. Yeah, but I think if ownership puts some things into, a, into effect, some key performance indicators that allow them to monitor, you know, sales and the sales manager and what they're doing and give them some goals, then mm-hmm. uh, they're holding them accountable to increasing sales, to increasing close ratios, to monitoring the leads, making sure the leads are commensurate with the number of people you have. So there's all kinds of things that, you know, ownership should be looking at right. uh, over top of the sales manager to make sure that they're doing their job. Yeah. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and and maybe help you, you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. 
You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening and now back to the episode. When you talk about uh, a sales manager coming in where there hasn't been one before, mm-hmm. like what are some of the key challenges you run up against that? Or nobody's really, we don't, we don't know what this person's supposed to look like. You know, we don't know whether they should have a quota or not. We don't know whether they should have an override or not. Like what, what would you tell to a business owner? Like what are the biggest challenges you've seen creating that role? Wow. Uh, I think, uh, holding your salespeople accountable is probably the most difficult thing because if no sales manager has been there prior to, to me being there, somebody else being there, uh, they've had total autonomy. They could just rule the roost however they wanted to, <laughs> right. turn the paperwork in, and they got what they got, and they're on to the next deal. So holding them accountable would be, you know, a, a large piece of the pie. I think also... Uh, well, let, let me stop you right there. Mm-hmm. So how do you hold them accountable? Like, they've never been held accountable before. Like, brass tacks, like, what's your first step? What do you do week one, week two, week three? Well, I think, first of all, you should be having a weekly sales meeting. Okay. Uh, for an hour, hour and a half, same time, same day, every single week. And what are you doing in that meeting? We're reviewing uh, the sales for the previous week. You're reviewing close ratios. You're, you're uh, role-playing. You're uh, talking about overcoming objections. What are the customers saying? You know, uh, how come you haven't closed this deal or that deal? What was the objection? How come you lost it? And then... There, there becomes all of a sudden a synergy within the room of all the different salespeople and throwing ideas on the table. And what you come out with is some really good uh, ideas of how to overcome those objections. So the sales meeting is, I think, uh, instrumental. Uh, you know, there's other housekeeping things, but that's really, you know, just a couple minutes at the beginning or the end of the, end of the meeting. Okay. The other thing I would say is you have to have a, a one-on-one uh, with each salesperson weekly, same time, scheduled. With and every single Every sales. single salesperson. You have 30 minutes to an hour with them. And what I like to do is I like to go through all of their open uh, proposals, go right down through the list, talk about the ones that are the hottest at first that they think are going to close, and then go back and comb through the ones that you know, are, are maybes and, and, and mark those within the system. So whatever CRM you're using, you know, you can keep, you know, some nice notes and be able to refer back to them the next time you have a one-on-one with them. What happened with this one? What happened with that one? So I think that lends uh, to holding the salespeople accountable because the next week, you know, you might give them certain tasks of, look, I want this list cleaned up. I want to know about these five deals and so on. So I think the one-on-ones is, is uh, very instrumental in holding them accountable. So for, the, for our new sales managers out there, uh, and they go, okay, great. I'm going to have my, uh, I'm going to set my weekly sales meeting. Uh, I'm going to set up my one-on-ones with all of my sales team. Um, and then week two, everything's going to be cruising along, right? It's going to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's constant monitoring uh, with the salespeople. Uh, not only what they're selling, but their close ratios. Uh, you know, I was tasked with increasing the close ratio, which we did in the first six months, bringing that close ratio up to a level that was, you know, uh, to, to the goal. We met the goal, and, and now this year we have a new goal, and that will continue, continue to rise. Uh, so I think it's a matter of giving the salespeople the right tools uh, so that they can sell better, helping them overcoming objections. Um, also... Another, term, another thing that you could add is external training uh, by professional salespeople, okay. uh, by video or by, you know, physical visit. Uh, it's something that we're going to add shortly, and uh, I think that's going to be highly beneficial. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, I've come across this perception, and I think it has to do with salespeople kind of being, um, you know, highly independent and highly capable, and there seems to be almost an assumption that salespeople aren't going to be interested in training. And when 
you see them in training, it's the exact opposite. Like they mm-hmm. eat it up almost universally. I mean, I'm sure there's some outliers out there like this is a waste of my time. I, sh- I could be closing a sale right now. But I've always been surprised at the enthusiasm of e- even the top, top salespeople for a little, a little tweak, a little trick, a little insight, a new technique, a new, mm-hmm. a new piece of information about the industry or a new, a new piece of product information that's going to make them better. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I guess I feel kind of stupid for thinking that they wouldn't be highly engaged because, after all, like they're so results-oriented – if you're presenting something that is is decent and it's going to help them get better results, then of course they're going to be highly engaged. Yeah, I can't, along those lines, I can't tell you how many times we've had sales meetings and we've come out of there and two or three or even more of the sales guys will come in. Wow, that was good. You know, because we were talking about objections, overcoming them, solutions. What would you say? How would you say it? You know, the temperament of that answer to the customer is right. is paramount, you know. And uh, they took away a lot from that, and they used it. And then other things that we gave them, we gave them more selling tools. And they come into my office and say, man, that, that new selling tool worked. <laughs> I closed this deal. Right. Uh, it was typically our, our closes are probably two touches. Uh, you know, we're initially going out and seeing the customer, and then quite often we're going back to, to close the deal. But when it's a one-touch... That, it's that a really, big deal. It's a big deal, yeah. and, it, and they used new tools that we gave them, and they worked. And those tools were derived from the team. It wasn't derived from me. Oh, that's great. It was mm. just we collaborated together. We knew they, we, I felt like they needed it, and we got together and said, what do you need? What is it specifically that you would need that would help you? And we came up with a, uh, it's basically a sales book with all the information that would allow them to sell, uh, um, you know, effectively, with the right tools, uh, you know, right down to all the warranties and how to compare them with others. And I think uh, them being able to have that tool in their hand has, has made them successful uh, in their daily life of sales. That just, to me, paints like a completely posing view of what you see in Glengarry Glen Ross. I know it's like the typical sales movie, but you have the coach who comes in and he has this, you know, 10, 15 minute rant. And really, you know, it's always be closing. Right. Right. But no tools. It's it's literally just get out there and get in front of, you know, work the leads. And that's it's just so opposite of what you what you saw in that movie. Yeah. Well, I I, I look at salespeople and I look at, you know, the the everybody else in the workforce. And the sales is one place where you can't you can't hide from engagement. Right, it's very hard to be a disengaged salesperson because you don't make any money. Right? I mean, I guess if you're if you're happy, you know, not getting a paycheck, then you can right. be as disengaged as you want to. But that's not necessarily the case in some other areas of the, of the company. I mean, especially as the companies get larger, it becomes easier and easier to hide in a corner and, and be disengaged. And we've heard those statistics about what it costs you when you're. Seventy percent of your workforce is marginally engaged, mm-hmm. or less, or, you know, or, or actively disengaged. And salespeople, like, they're engaged, man. Like, they're they're not they're not in it just to punch a clock. They're in it to get results. And if you and I would imagine there's probably a sense where, um, in an organization that isn't investing in training. The sales, the really good salespeople are probably doing it themselves anyway. I mean, I've known I've known guys who are in, say, life insurance businesses, for instance. You know, we came out of college, I went one way, they went down the life insurance path, and it's definitely a sink or swim industry: financial advisory services, insurance, all that. And um, and, and they're not sending you to conferences. They're not sending you to you know. You're not going to Scottsdale for a week of sales training. Like, you order the tapes. You know, go on the internet, get the training, put your credit card in, and if it makes you more money, then it was justified, right? So they're investing in their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have a sales manager who recognizes the need to source ideas from within and then kind of package those in ways that can be sales tools for the team, or to bring in outside experts to train the team or invest in resources to make them better. I think it's highly beneficial to engage your, your salespeople because they know better than, than you and I what they need out in the field in order to, to convey to the customer what they're trying to sell. Yeah. Uh, and once you 
get them all in a room and get that synergy going and that uh, discussion and dialogue of what is it you need that can help you sell more. And you're, you're appealing to, I want to help you. What is that particular need? Let's, let's zero in on that and let's, let's uh, figure out what that is and then let's get it in your hands and let's see how it works. So we've tried things where we figured out the need, we gave them the tools, and we, and we said, okay, next week I want to hear some reports back of how did that work? You know, when you're doing the warranty comparisons with the customer, how did that work? And uh, the feedback was great. Yeah. Well, that's, so it kind of leads to another topic, which is um, I guess the community or the culture that can exist in a sale, on a sales team and when we when we talk about uh, organizations where there isn't a sales manager, there's really nobody trying to build that community of salespeople where they are. They do have venues where they can get together and share ideas and best practices. They can, um, you know, I've seen it too before where guys having a rough week. It happened in your organization. I think it was before you got there, and we got the sales team together. And guy was having. He was like, he was in a slump. You know, mm-hmm. hadn't made a sale. I'm like three weeks and one of the other guys was like look like here's the math man you just got to do you just got to stay with it you're doing the right things the math Mm -hmm. is going to work out eventually Mm -hmm. um but being able to lift each other up being able to to um create an environment where you're being supported it strikes me that when you invest in a sales manager now you have a full-time person and that's part of their responsibility Mm -hmm. so do you feel like Building a sales culture, is that something that that you gauge your success by? Is it something you think about? What, is the sales culture a thing? Yeah, I think the sales culture is uh, the personality of how we do business. And I think on a, on a larger aspect, that comes from, you know, the, the corporate vision, mission, values, and, what, you know, why are we the, the way we are? So I think it's you're taking that from the leadership of what they have put together and you're applying that to your salespeople on a daily basis. That's a great point because we, I mean, we're all about values, vision, mission. Like we, that's, our clients get sick and tired of hearing (laughs) us talk about it. Um, But for a sales team, like how huge is that? Because if, if your sales team is going out there and they're engaging the world at large on your behalf and you have no vision you have no mission, you have no values, like what are you sending that, what, what do you, there's a huge part of their toolbox that's just empty in terms of connecting to people and relating to people and being able to understand where they're going to fit and where they're not going to fit with potential customers. And it's really interesting you say it's got to come from corporate first, like the, the mm-hmm. leadership has to have this stuff in place and then we can build a sales culture on top of that. But without it, you're kind of starting at a deficit. Well, it's, it is difficult because it is what whatever you want it to be. And uh, as leaders, you set the temperature. You know, you're yep. sort of like the thermostat. And uh, everybody's going to exemplify you uh, in the way you perform and conduct business. So if you're being unprofessional and don't have uh, all the ethics and, and, you know, the innovation and responsibility and all the things that you need uh, to hold people accountable... Uh, you know, they're just going to follow your lead. So it's important to have a mission, vision, values, and why, who you are uh, portrayed from the very top, and then that'll, that'll filter down. Because, you know, we, we have a saying in our company is, you know, what would Gary Curry say? He would say, do the right thing. <laughs> that's pretty powerful. You know, and that's on his signature line. What, what would he say? And uh, by the same token, you know, Jesse would say, I want it to be a very good experience for the customer. Is that a good experience for the customer? If it's not, then make it a good experience right. and do whatever's required to make that happen. So that has filtered down to everybody in the organization, I feel like. Yeah, and it, it, you, could have a, uh, you could have a salesperson who did have those personal values, and if the values weren't there up the line, they could get dinged for you know, spending the extra money you know, because they wanted the customer to have a good experience mm-hmm. or making the extra trip or the concession when something didn't go exactly as that was supposed to. Because, you know, up the chain, maybe the only thing that's ever getting looked at is the, the close ratio or the gross margin percentage or whatever. And leadership isn't asking those questions about 
how's the customer experiencing it? Mm-hmm. So what do you do, um, like in your role, you're not, you don't see the customers come into a showroom. You don't get to observe the salesperson with them. You're not running a call center where you can listen in on calls and, and give feedback. So how do you, how do you make sure that what, what is happening in the field is kind of what, like what needs to happen in the field to generate that customer experience or to generate the close ratio that you're needing? Like, do you feel like, is there a disconnect when you've got these folks who are out there driving around all over two or three counties um, and the sales managers in the office, how do you make sure that things are happening in the field the way they're supposed to? I think first we talked about putting the right tools in their hands. Uh, you know, all the selling tools, all the samples, whatever they need to be able to do their job effectively is, I think, is first, uh, so that you know they have the ability to get the job done. I do think that you have to do some ride-alongs, um, and that does take time. <laughs> yeah, and it becomes the more you get into your role as a sales manager, the more difficult that becomes, and I've struggled with that. And uh, you just you just have to, it's something you needed to do. Yeah, ride-alongs. Uh, we we love them when we start working with clients because mm-hmm. we learn things that you will never learn. I mean, you can you, watching something happen is a lot different from hearing about it second or third or fourth hand. You mm-hmm. know, so there's a tremendous amount. Um, but like you said, like the time is the issue mm-hmm. because it's you know we can sit in a conference room and we can interview you know, four, five, six people in a day. Guess how many ride-alongs we can do in a day? <laughs> Maybe one. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe two. two. Maybe if, two. If you try to do a morning and an afternoon, but I've, I've tried to do that before. And you get into something and, like, you, you have a, a scenario that plays out in the morning right. in front of the customer, and I really want the rest of the afternoon to talk about what just happened understand, you know, mm-hmm. hey, let me buy you lunch, break this down. For, oh, sorry, I got another ride along in, you know, 30 minutes. I got to get back to the office and jump in somebody else's car. So, you know, it's a hugely time intensive thing, but you're going to see things there. You won't, you'll learn things there. You won't learn, possibly learn anywhere else. Well, you'd be, you'd be, uh, it's interesting too. In the one-on-one meetings, you'll learn a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the more you sit there and you just listen. And let them go, because that's really their time. You know, if there's any issues, uh, you know, let them come out on so the table. So that's interesting. So you said uh, earlier, you know, you like to go through all their open proposals and not. Mm-hmm. And I guess the impression that I had was, well, that's you know, they're they're sitting in the hot seat, and you know, you're you're firing off the questions. Right. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it like that, but but that's what it is. But talk about it's their time because that seems like well, there's a part of the agenda that yes, I'm going to hold them accountable. But but it sounds like there's a bigger part of the agenda that's that's up to them where to spend it. Is that accurate or no? Yes, okay. I give them that autonomy. So if what kind have... of what kind of things do they they put on on their agenda when it's their time? Wow. Uh well, there might be scheduling issues. There might be issues with uh, uh, maybe things not happening quite right in the field that need to be taken care of. There may be a situation with another employee. You know, you just never know what those situations, you know, what might come to the table. But that is the time to talk about it. Uh, it's also, uh, by the, you know, flipping that around, it's also my time, too, a little bit to talk about, okay, here's everything that's going right. You know, 95% of everything's okay. This 5% over here, we need to work on that. Gotcha. And uh, when you get that fixed up and get you headed in the right direction. But for the most part, you know, 95%, you're doing a great job. So it's also my time to help monitor and evaluate and point them in the right direction. Hi, this is Joy Brannon. I wanted to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team 
to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you, to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. All right, so here's a topic that uh, that comes up a lot. Uh, you got a superstar salesperson, mm. the the twenty or the ten percent, you know, the wow. hunt, the the trapper, or not the trapper, the hunter, the hunter, and uh, you know, there's a saying, "Sales hide sins," right? And and some of these these hunters like take that to heart. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna let my sales paper over all my sins, and you're just gonna forgive me for them because because <laughs> my numbers are big enough. So, how do you manage the really high performing salesperson that doesn't think the rules really apply to them? I like to appeal to their pride and the fact that their peers are watching them. Okay. And if they're not doing all the right things, they're watching and they're gonna exemplify you, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So can we work on that and get an agreement that, you know, X, Y, and Z needs to change? And we need to put that in another direction. I think people inherently want to do a good job, and they want to make you proud. And uh, I think if you can appeal to them in that manner, uh, you'll, you'll take the situation and flip it around. That's good. I like that. Appeal to their pride. You're mm-hmm. saying salespeople are prideful? <laughs> Self-confident yeah. is maybe another way to put it. No, they're definitely proud. <laughs> All right, well, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dig dig a little bit deeper into that. Uh-huh. What if that doesn't work? Well, there's always the backstop of disciplinary action, but you want to try and stay away from that if you can. You want to try and motivate them, not uh, you know beat them head over, beat them over the head with a stick. I think uh, keeping it on the positive side of things is going to help them in the field. It's going to help them when they leave that office. It's it's uh, going to help their uh, just their whole mo. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I guess you could probably apply this to all employees, but I have seen um, I've been in meetings where a salesperson got dressed down for this or that or the other thing. Usually, it was it wasn't like paperwork. It was a customer issue you know like they didn't do didn't deliver on the customer experience and we got to do better and you know what were you thinking during this time and uh and you know this this goes on for 30 or 40 minutes you know back and forth and you see the salesperson walk out the door and i told a business owner one time i said you realize what is about to happen and he's like, what? You know, he's going to get his act together. I said, no. I said, he's about to walk into your customer's living room with his tail between his legs, and he's not going to make a sale. And that, that could go on for days or weeks. I mean, like, I get the point that you're trying to make, but you, there's, a, there's a part of me that feels like uh, with your frontline employees, and it doesn't necessarily, it, it could be a salesperson who's walking into somebody's living room, it could be the cashier at Chick fil A. It could be the drive-through person at Starbucks. Like when you have to address issues, you kind of have to maybe do it a little different than you normally would. I would say you you don't really want to grade people in front of other people. If it's that grave of a situation and there was a customer issue and it was a very large deal because it took 30 to 40 minutes to talk about, sounds like it might have been a large deal. Uh you know, that should have been done on yeah. a one-on-one or, you know, two of the top management people with that particular salesperson and, you know, get down to brass tacks, figure out what was wrong and create a plan and not let it happen again. Everybody makes mistakes. It's just you have to recognize them and don't don't let them happen again. That would have been my take on it. Yeah. Well, and I want, them, I want that person to, to leave, you know, the locker room, so to speak, ready to go out and, and tackle the world, not go out and get their brains beat in in the second half of the game. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, because the customer is going to recognize that. When he does walk into that living room, yeah. that customer is going to size him up in about three seconds. Wow, what happened to you today? <laughs> <laughs> tough day, tough day at the tough office. Tough day. You know, what, was your last appointment that great? <laughs> 
they're perceptive. Like you, the customers can smell fear, they can smell desperation. Like is, there's no way to hide from it. Yeah, it's like when you meet somebody for the first time. You, you, you know, your barometer sort of says, "I like this guy," or "I don't like that guy," or there's something, you know, amiss. Yeah. You know, you, you're you're pretty quick to draw conclusions, and so is the customer. Yeah. So you got to be careful. So when you're when you're say you're not at the sales management point yet like you're just let's say you're the business owner and you're say I got to grow this business but to do it I got to get somebody else to sell what, what advice would you give a business owner who's on the precipice or has just hired their very first full-time salesperson and how what what should they be doing to manage that person's efforts I think that they should be putting their all into them I think that he you know he or she should be following that owner everywhere he goes and i think he should be following others in the organization where they go if they're uh, into uh, installing things you know they need to be with the installers for a week or two and understand the products and what goes into them and uh you know exp- uh, you know work on how are things priced out um you know what is the what are the what are some of the selling techniques you use what do we sell on uh you know are we the low price leader or are we a premium retailer uh, so, you know, that salesperson needs to know that, uh, how, how he sells and what's made him successful over the years. And I think he has to do a very good job at conveying that to him in a very succinct way. Because if he doesn't, uh, you know, he, I don't think that salesperson will be successful. They need to have that mentoring. Yeah, and what we're talking about is creating a position that's never existed in the company before. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of creating the position at the same time, you're trying to train somebody to do it, mm-hmm. and the normal uh, two-week orientation, you know, probably will not suffice. It's <laughs> probably not enough. Is that right. what I hear you saying? Right. I think that if they put him in all facets of the business, he's going to learn very quickly, you know, what others do and how they're relying on, you know, the owner at the time and now a new salesperson, what they need to do in order to bring the order into the house so that it's clean and it's usable and they can operate it on it right away instead of having to pick up the crumbs and right. figure out what was really sold. Right. Well, that's we're pretty much at the end of our time, but I don't want to cut you short. Like, right. what, what? Give us some parting words of wisdom on just the this topic of sales management in general and where you see where you see it being done well and where you see it, you know, potentially pitfalls in it? Well, I think once you are in that role as sales manager, you need to spend the first 90 days just figuring out what's going on. (laughs) Don't make too many changes. Figure out what's going on. Start slowly implementing things. Because you don't want to be known as the guy that's coming in and just starts whacking things and, and, and chopping everything up. Because obviously that company has been su- successful for years. You've been asked to come into that company and to help manage it to the next level. So whatever they've done in the past, they've done well at. Now they're asking you to take that to the next good or great level. And uh, I think you need to be patient and evaluate what's going on, evaluate your salespeople, figure out what makes them tick, uh, and, uh, and then move forward. Uh, and then if the ownership has certain things they would like to see, they want to see sales climb, they want to see the close ratio come up by five points by the end of the year, um, you, know, you need to start working on those things. You need to be able to monitor those and have reporting on it. Uh, you need to be able to watch uh, how the leads are coming in. You know, are we managing those? Are they being distributed properly to the salespeople? There's a, there's a multitude of things that, uh, that you need to be doing to make sure that those salespeople are being taken care of. And of course, developing processes, like we talked about. Uh, you know, the sales meeting is a must, the one-on-ones, um, you know, talking to them about their goals for each month. Uh, you know, creating a uh, a uh, annual goal for the for the salespeople, uh, and then boil that down to monthly, so that they know where the goalpost is. What are they supposed to sell? What is the quota for the month? Uh, we didn't even we didn't even talk about quotas. Mm-hmm. 
so I, I guess that's just a given, but I can think of one client right now who's been struggling to put quotas in place for the last year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why would companies struggle to put quotas in place? How necessary are they? You know, what is, well, I think you can take a look at what you sold last year, you know, same period, and then and then move it forward to this year, and then add something to it, and then you can take it take a look at what that salesperson sold in that year prior, and then add something to it, and then that becomes their quota for that particular month. So just like a percentage increase yes. is kind of the base table stakes yes. quota process. Exactly. Okay. Well, it's interesting where you talked about the numbers and the data and like being able to track. And I know when you first moved in mm-hmm. to, to your new role, like you were pinging me. You're like, hey, how do I get this report? How do I get this report? <laughs> where, where can I find this? Can I get a data dump of that? And can I get it into Excel? And um, that's something that, again, if you bring somebody in from just a, a sales role and you promote them into sales manager, like you said earlier, they're not necessarily the most paperwork process oriented people, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they may chafe at the idea that what I got to figure out how to get this stuff out of the system and put mm-hmm. it in a spreadsheet and update it every month. And so that's a huge piece of the competency behind the sales manager. Yeah. One thing we didn't discuss was follow up. Okay. Salespeople are, are notoriously the worst <laughs> at following up. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a statistic out there between 44% and 50% of all salespeople follow up just once, and then they give up. What? Yes. So do the other 40 to 50% not follow up at all? <laughs> <laughs> Can't speak to that, but... Uh, I just found that very interesting, and when I, when I came into this role, I saw it firsthand. The follow-up was was existent, but with some it was non-existent. Mm-hmm. They were so worried about the next deal and getting out there and getting the proposal out, and whatever that you know path looked like for them at that time, because we were so busy. But you've got to cut time out in your week schedule, and I've done this with every salesperson where they have cut out an afternoon or a morning or a couple hours here or there within the week, within the work week that they are charged with following up with on their leads to make sure that their customers are being covered. Because if they're not, uh, they're, they're doing the company a, a grave disservice because those leads that are coming in the door cost the company money. Right. You know, it could be two, three, four thousand, or two, two, three, four hundred dollars a lead or more mm. uh, that, you're, that you're paying for, and then we're not following up. That's That's... Mm. And we've already done all the work done all to the work. do the proposal. All, all you got to do is follow up relentlessly. Try to build a relationship. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that raises an interesting question in my mind because we know some of the processes and tools that you've actually implemented to help your sales guys follow up. But, but is there a magic number? You know, is there a number that is kind of like a, a rough you know, 95% of follow, you know, this is the number of follow-ups you should do? And then at what point does it become or does it become too much and the customer just like leaves a bad taste in their mouth or... and it's usually about five you know the, the five is because we have an automated follow-up system that follows up uh, it's one of the things we implemented and that we haven't talked about yet but uh we we took a little bit of this out of the salespeople's hands because they're not the most organized people like we talked about earlier so we made a conscious decision to implement a system uh whereby an email or a text would go out after the sale to the customer, asking them how their experience was, what else, what other information do they need, how can we help them, you know, in their decision making process, and we have eighty three percent engagement, uh, which is very high, wow. and uh, most of that engagement, over eighty percent of the engagement, comes from texting. Hmm. That's the way of the future. Uh, the other, the remaining, you know, twenty percent, seventeen percent, somewhere in there comes from voice and from email. So if they're, if they're following up by voice and they're following up by email and they're not utilizing text, um, they're not using something that is widely used and accepted and you use it in your daily life. Think about it with your family members, with yeah. your kids. Everybody's texting. Well, I just, I'm thinking of the, the last two things I had to reschedule. I rescheduled them by text instead of 
And then probably things I could have just like not shown up to, but I got the reminder, Hey, you know, don't forget, you know, we'd mm-hmm. like to see you at this place and time. And I was like, uh, it's not going to work, <laughs> but I, but there was a link there. It's like reschedule. And I just did it. Right. If they just said, call us. You probably I probably wouldn't. Would. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hassle yeah. because you can text when you want to on your own time at your own leisure, and it just makes sense. You know, if a customer can't respond right away, they will. They could be in a meet in a high level meeting and respond. Yeah, I want to go ahead. Right. But are you going to be able to get them by voice? No. No. Right. It's not going to happen. So you could close the deal via text in times when you may not be able to ever there, get a response. There has been instances where I've been monitoring the text messages coming back in, and I see I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. You know, and then also getting the feedback from the customer in those text messages or emails occasionally uh, is very insightful for me because the tools that we put in their hands the salespeople's hands and that they're utilizing to help sell better uh, is quite evident because the customer's coming back and saying, you know, your man really educated me. Mm-hmm. He he was quite helpful in help, helping me make a decision. He was very knowledgeable. I know that's coming from the tools that have been put in their hands. Mm-hmm. They're now gone from spending 45 minutes at a customer's house to two hours at their house. So it's different and the process of which they follow. And uh, another thing we didn't talk about was documenting that process, the sales process from the beginning to the end, something that I'm working on right now. Uh, You know, what happens when you pull up to a customer's house? Where do you park? What do you do? You know, do you not, do you ring the doorbell? Do you knock? Do you wave? You know, there's there's all these different (laughs) things that you can do uh, that that create a... uh, a nice atmosphere for the customer when you when you greet them for the first time and, and they're sizing you up. So and these are things that we just take for granted because we imagine maybe the way that we would do it. Be like, well, of course you're going to knock because you don't know whether the doorbell is going to ring or not. It might not be t- not, might not be connected or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you just you're going to take a hundred things for granted, and mm-hmm. I'm going to take a hundred things for granted in a different way. Right. And you're going to throw the three of us into a sales team and you're going to have three different sales processes, three different modes of follow-up, three different... We've, we've even seen it where there's like three different versions of the contract because there's one on your laptop, there's one on my <laughs> laptop, and one on Devin's <laughs> laptop, right? Well, we've, we've managed to streamline that. And, and now with the process of selling and the sales tools that we put in their hand and also the, 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 the sales book that we put in their hands, they're basically following the same steps. And for our industry, we're trying to get the customer down to talk about uh, the warranty because we offer We are a premium roofer. We offer the best warranty, the best products. We have the best crews. They're trained by, uh, you know, they're factory trained. So, you know, and we're going to provide them the best experience, bar none. So knowing that, uh, you know, we're, we're, charging, we're charging a premium. Uh, they're able to, in effect look at or get information from the customer on what others have offered. So you find out through that discussion that, oh, yeah, I've got two other proposals. Well, what are they? What are they offering? I don't need to see the proposal. Just tell me what kind of materials are in that. Let's take a look at that. And then they tell you that, and then you're able to compare their warranty with our warranty. We always win. Yeah. We always win. It's really interesting where you say, like, what do we, where do we want the conversation to get to, right? And that's based on what is our, what makes us different from everybody else. So that's for it, you right guys, there. it's the warranty makes us different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so we need the conversation to get to the warranty. So how do we build a process that gets us to the warranty? And you discovered that a 45-minute process doesn't get you to the conversation about the warranty, but no. a two-hour process does. So Yeah, because they start saying, well, let's compare apples to apples, and it's really apples to plums. <laughs> <laughs> they're not even close. We're offering something that has a 25-year warranty, 100%, and they're, they're getting something, for, you know, a 10-year warranty that, you know, it's void if certain Pro- things prorated don't, after yeah. the first year it goes to. If things don't yeah, go right, right, you're on your own. Right. <laughs> and uh, so that really puts us in a whole whole another category. And then then the price objection is off the table at that point, right? Because all of a sudden you're in a category of one. But you I, have to think about that process because, like you said earlier, when we were talking about training a new a new sales manager, you said mm-hmm. you got to know like what what are you selling on. So if you're selling on, uh, 
if you're selling on quick close, mm-hmm. right? Well, you don't want a two-hour conversation, right? If, you're, if your value proposition for whatever business you're in, let's say you're Carvana, right? And you mm-hmm. want a quick close. You want people who just want a car. They don't want to talk to anybody. I want to deliver it to my doorstep. <laughs> Basically a vending, vending machine, auto dealership. Mm-hmm. Um, like their, their process is all about how do we, how do we eliminate the three-hour car dealership visit? And make it a fifteen-minute online experience. Experience, right? So every every business is different. Uh, so, for instance, I'm thinking about our process, mm-hmm. uh, which you know we want customers to be with us for ten, twelve, fifteen years. So we kind of have a very deliberate, like four to six week process of getting to a proposal. So mm-hmm. there's a front end, like project piece of work that we do for them. And we sit down and we basically spend a half day to a day together after that first four to six weeks saying, here's what we want the next 10 years of our relationship to look like. Hmm. Right. But if we were, if we've designed that process because we want people to stay years and years and years, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is, it's it's just very instructive to hear you say, we wanted to get to the warranty conversation. We always win. Yeah. We win. And, and the other thing we went on too is, well, we can compare apples to apples, but the biggest apple is the company. That's good. I like you that. Know, uh, we've heard things like, uh, you know, uh, this company's coming in from wherever, Orlando, and they want to make a splash in the area. Well, heck, we've been doing laps for 33 years, you know? <laughs> They're just <laughs> jumping in. <laughs> They're just jumping in. Right. And we're here. You know, are, are they going to service, you know, if, they, if something goes haywire? Uh, are they going to be there tomorrow to fix your leak if that happens to happen? Right. Uh, the answer is probably no. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's then, then other things that the salespeople have done, too, is they'll, they'll pick out something in their house. They'll find something that is of high value, and then they'll compare it to something of maybe lesser value. Oh, yeah, I have one of those, but it's a... So it's a no, no, no. This is the best. And then that's exactly what we're talking yeah. about. We're the best. Right. Best warranty, best system, best trained employees, that's best cool. experience. There's a little trick, like the point of find something in the living room that's really valuable. We got one guy that is really good at give, it. Give me an example of something he's pointed okay, out. Okay, he, he pointed out, he the guy he came in and he was talking about all his electronics and... Uh, he was talking about the big Sony uh, big screen TV that he just got. And the sales guy goes, uh, yeah, I got one of those. It's a, it's a Vizio. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. This is a Sony. <laughs> and, and, then, and he goes, exactly. And uh, the guy goes, where do I need to sign? <laughs> That's awesome. It was just, it was priceless. And, and he, he, he threw that out in one of our sales meetings and, that was like, okay, now everybody's, they're looking for something of value right. that's meaningful to the customer that they can have a, a, a really rich conversation about and then compare that back to, to what we're providing and, uh, and letting them know that, you know, it's not just apples to apples. The biggest apple is our organization, yeah. and we're going to take care of you through and through. Very so. cool. Hmm. Well, thanks for spending so much time with us. Uh, it's been insightful. I learned stuff. I've known you for years and years and years, and I learned stuff today that I didn't know before. Oh, so. It's my pleasure. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Devin. Thank, thank you. And we'll thanks, see you Sean. guys next week. Yep. All right.